Hey, Forge family. In podcast number 10, we saw Samuel delivering God's mission to Saul to eradicate the sons of Amalek from the earth. 400 years before, on the Exodus march, on the journey in the desert, the 12 tribes of Israel stopped at Rephidim in proximity to Mount Sinai. Two and a half million people and their flocks and herds were thirsty. There's no water to be had at Rephidim. Moses does a miracle that day at the direction of God and strikes a specific rock with the rod of God. He had extended over the Red Sea and parted the waters. And when he struck that rock, water gushed out. Enough for all. But. But. Was Israel thankful? No. Moses named the place Test and Quarrel. And at that moment, the Amalekites, these desert-raiding peoples, attacked the rear of the journeying tribes. That, That was made up mostly of the elderly, the pregnant, and the young, the slowest and most vulnerable in the march. After the ensuing battle that that Israel won, God commands Moses to write down that he is at war perpetually with Amalek. 400 years pass, and Saul is sent by God to kill everything that breathes. Saul's army marches out into the Negev desert, a sweep to the west through that desert place, around the Dead Sea, and arriving ultimately at the city of Amalek. And they destroy all but the best of the flocks, the herds, and the precious booty. And they preserve the life of Agag, king of Amalek. Samuel confronts Saul. And Saul keeps pushing the responsibility of disobedience off onto the people. Samuel's had enough of Saul and turns to leave, but Saul reaches out and grasps Samuel's robe and it tears. Samuel said to Saul, this day the Lord has torn the kingdom from you. And then Samuel himself takes a sword and hacks Agag to pieces to fulfill God's promise and command regarding the Amalekites. Samuel returns to Ramah He will not speak with Saul again in the land of the living. All right, let's pray. Father God, Samuel knew you as the glory of Israel. We know you as Father. You care for us in as potent and as long-lasting as your care was for, for Israel. We would obey you. Repent when we are wrong, when we sin, and we would follow in your ways, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, we are here in three passages in 1 Samuel in podcast 11. We're going to finish the life of Samuel in this podcast. Samuel is slipping away from view, but he still serves the Lord in Ramah. So grab your Bibles your notebooks, your coffee, and buckle up. We begin in 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is a well-known passage where God directs Samuel to go to Bethlehem 
to the house of Jesse and anoint one of Jesse's sons as the king to replace Saul. In verse 1 of chapter 16, Samuel is mired in grief and lament over the debacle of Saul's disobedience. God's command, Samuel, get to your feet, fill your horn with oil, and go to Bethlehem. Now, in the ancient world, nearly every, in almost every culture, they used animal horns as drinking vessels. And they carried that horn with them wherever they went. They tucked it inside their garment or put it in a pouch or hung it on a cord. Uh, they carried it with them all the time. God's instruction is, Samuel, you fill your horn with oil in preparation for an anointing. Verse 2, Samuel is still fully a man. See, even invested with the office and the powers of a prophet, Samuel complains to God that if he went openly to Jesse in Bethlehem and Saul hears, Samuel will be killed. Now, there's another insight into the character of Saul. It is God himself that lays out the subterfuge, the cunning way for Samuel to go to Bethlehem and not alarm Saul. <clears throat> he is to take a heifer, a one-year-old cow with him, and announce that he's in Bethlehem to sacrifice to the Lord God. On arrival, the elders of Bethlehem are lined up in front of him, trembling in fear. This is the prophet of God who just meted out bloody justice to Agag, and he did it personally. This is Samuel who called down rain in the midst of blue skies during wheat harvest. This is Samuel who called on God to protect Israel from the Philistines with lightning and thunder. And he routed an entire army of the Philistines. And this was the Samuel God sent around Israel to judge the people. So the sum total is they were afraid when Samuel showed up in Bethlehem. Verse 4 Samuel does what the Lord said. And the elders want to know if he's come to Bethlehem in peace. Now, paren, the unspoken part of this is, or have you come in judgment? It's almost, they almost sound like they feel guilty. Close paren. Samuel just says, no, I'm here in peace. Uh, and he tells them that he has come to sacrifice to the Lord. The people of Bethlehem are told to consecrate themselves and come to the sacrifice and the following sacrificial meal. Now, how were they to consecrate themselves? See, consecrate means set yourselves apart for righteousness. Kadosh is the Hebrew word, and it means to prepare yourself to make yourself holy. Now here I believe Samuel has instituted a spontaneous holy day of sacrifice of the animal that he brought, the offering of the blood, the burning of the fat off the breast or the brisket of the animal, and the remaining beef that was left over is then prepared for everyone in town for a feast day before the Lord. So, people, wash yourselves, put on clean clothes, get ready to come before the Lord. Verse 5, Jesse's one of the elders. And it says he was sanctified, he was, he was, which means to be set apart. He was separated out with his sons, most likely in a private place, not out in front of all of Bethlehem. 
And and who is this man, Jesse? Jesse is the son of Obed, who was the son of Boaz and Ruth. In the you know, she was the Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab to live in Bethlehem. Remember, we studied the book of Ruth together. Verse 6 says, When Jesse's sons are lined up in birth order and then presented to Samuel, the text again reminds us that Samuel, even after a lifetime of serving God, he still doesn't see like God sees. First comes Eliav. We would say Eliab, whose name means God is Father. And Samuel thought, hmm, surely the Lord's anointed stands right here in front of me. But you see, Samuel had years of experience looking up to a man he anointed named Saul, who was head and shoulders over everybody else in the country. Okay? And it's still stuck in him. So he looks up at Eliav and he thinks, this has got to be God's choice. And then the, you, you ought to fit in here the phrase, but God, dot, dot, dot. Let's read verse 7. Okay, 16, verse 7, it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because he is I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse then presents Abinadab, whose name means, my father is noble. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. Now we don't know if, about the scripture here, whether it is the word of the Lord to Samuel in his ear, or whispered by Samuel so Jesse and, and Abinadab don't hear. But it would appear to be so. Abinadab is not chosen. And Samuel may be silently reflecting to himself what the Lord is doing. Verse 9, Jesse presents Shammah. And again, neither has the Lord chosen this. So in verse 10, all seven of these sons in birth order are standing in front of Samuel. And the Lord does not select anyone from among those seven. Only here Samuel does say out loud to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, Samuel asks Jesse, are these all your children? And Jesse responds, there's yet the youngest one, but he's out with the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. We will not progress to the seated meal until he is brought before me. In other words, this holy day stops right here until that son comes and stands in front of me. All right, let's read. Verses 12 and 13. So Jesse sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anoint him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Doesn't even say that he stayed for dinner. Did what he came to do? Went home. Okay, so here stands the last child of Jesse. Now, it may have been perhaps a geriatric pregnancy. Late in the marriage, if you recall, 
Abraham was 100 years old when he had a child by Sarah. Okay, and it's even possible, though it is not stated, that David's mom may have died in childbirth. David may also be the son of a second wife or a concubine born as Jesse's son, but viewed by his father and seven brother and seven brothers or half brothers as less than them all. Several scripture speaks of David being abandoned by his mother and father, but it was the Lord who took him up. Samuel takes his horn of oil and anoints David, hearing the Lord say, It is he. This is the one. This is the one after my own heart. Then Samuel returns to Ramah. Okay, Forge, we need to zoom out. Okay. Remembering we are focused on Samuel. And, and then after the battle of David versus Goliath in the next chapter, after David is chosen to lead Saul's warriors, after his marriage to the princess Michael, after being befriended by Prince Jonathan, Saul tries to kill David in a, in a jealous rage. Tries to pin him to the wall with a spear. David flees. And he flees to Samuel in Ramah. All right, so let's turn to 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. And it says, Now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Samuel had done to him, all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Nioth. Okay, Nioth was also known as the place where the prophets, the school of the prophets was. At that point, David slips away out into the Judean wilderness and he stays in the cave of Machpelah. Now, years pass. And we turn a couple more pages. 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. Then Samuel died. And all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And the last references now about Samuel at all in 1 Samuel um, come to us out of 1 Samuel 28. Saul is aging. He's probably older than 60 years, which was a, a ripe old age in those days. Saul is facing a massive army of the Philistines, and he's afraid. So he calls on the Lord God, and God will not answer him. And then he asks the Lord again, and the Lord will not send him any dreams. And then he calls for the priest to bring the Urim. This is part of the Urim and Thummim that was used. It was part of the breastplate that the high priest wore. It was an ancient piece of, of crafted a glory, if you will. There's there's jewels set into this breast piece, breastplate, and, but it was used as high juju, if you will, amongst the Israelites. Well, they couldn't get an answer any other way. They would call for this, and they would try and get an answer when a prophet of God wasn't there, or a seer of God wasn't there, or God wouldn't answer. And there were, but there were no answers that came to Saul, and there were no other prophets that would speak. So Saul is coming unglued here. Saul himself had set in motion a purge, a purge of death, if you will, 
on diviners, witches, mediums, those who, who've channeled familiar spirits who would call up those from the dead. All over Israel, he had slaughtered those. Now, in verse 7 of chapter 28, Saul commands that his men find him a woman, a medium, who claims to communicate with the dead by means of a demonic spirit. Okay, now pause right here. Saul has had this purge going on, and um, he says, find me, find me, someone like this. And immediately, in that conversation, someone says, oh, there's one 12 miles north up in Endor. Now, maybe she was on a hit list. Okay, maybe she was somebody's mama. We don't know that. But it's fascinating to me that, that uh, he's purged the land, but there's one more who's hidden from him. But the men in his command knows where she is. Quickly, that woman is named, and he sets out to consult her. So in verse 8, Saul disguises himself and takes two men with him to the hamlet of Endor. 12 miles north of his army post, the encampment on Mount Gilboa, facing the Philistine armies. On greeting this woman, he asks her to, quote, conjure up for me, bring up for me the one that I will name. Now here, Saul is asking this woman in Endor to do divination, to work occult power, to channel a demon, which the Lord God has expressly absolutely forbidden, and Saul himself had enforced. This is a man with a twisted spirit. In verse 9, the witch calls Saul out. Why are you trying to get me killed? She knows about the purge. She's keeping her head down. Why are you laying this snare for me? And Saul swears by the God of Israel, in verse 10, Yahweh, that no harm will come to her for this divination that he has requested. Recall, the Ten Commandments say, do not use the name of the Lord God and attach it to anything that's empty. There you go, right there. Saul breaks the law by asking her for divination and he breaks the law by swearing to protect her. Verse 11, who shall I bring up for you? So she's put on her professional voice. Okay, And Saul says, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. She cried out. She she cut loose. And I'll bet there there wasn't a man in the room or in the neighborhood whose hair wasn't standing on end. See, she 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 turned and she recognizes Saul. Why have you deceived me? I mean, she expects to be cut in little pieces right there. But Saul doesn't care. He just wants the goods. He wants to know what she saw. And her response was, she saw preternatural beings, demons, rising out of the earth. And Saul says, what is his form? You know, you think you saw Samuel? What is his form? And the woman says, it was an old man wrapped in a cloak. Which is, he's unidentifiable, but Saul buys it. All right, Forge, let's zoom out here. Way out. Okay, first and foremost, the Lord God would never reveal anything through a demonic source. Through this woman who channels a demon, a familiar spirit. Like, never. Never. In him is no darkness at all. 
Second, the Lord would not break his law with Israel concerning the forbidden diviners and spiritists. Third, Jesus taught that the gulf between the living and the dead is fixed. It's not to be crossed. So here, what the woman sees is a demonic adaptation. Not Samuel, but a demon who is articulate, who knows Saul's sins against the Lord and speaks back to Saul what has already what is already known in the in the natural world and what was Saul's state in the spiritual realm as well then the demon prophesies you know little Ralphie from from uh, down on the coast he he could do the same thing all he had to do was stand on top of Mount Gilboa and look out and see the sheer force arrayed by the Philistines against the Israel Israelite army. Little Ralphie could make that prediction. But the demon says, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow in the battle, Israel, the Israelite armies are going to collapse and withdraw, and you will die with your sons. Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, three of his sons will be swept away. See, here you need the scriptures. Here you need the scripture that says, God is not mocked. God is not messed with. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So here, Saul sought insight from a medium, and he got it, but it came with death. Forge, I do not believe that, that what the woman saw and Saul heard was Samuel, but rather a demonic figure that appeared as an old man who spoke out of known history and did correctly predict Saul's death. So here, Samuel is not present, is not brought up from Sheol, and does not speak with Samuel as Samuel with Saul. Once before in this series of podcasts, we look back to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 14 and 24. Okay, remember when, when Saul stumbles the first time really badly? Okay, and we're going to read it again. Chapter 12, verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve him, Israel, and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. Verse 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Saul would not do that. He would not put the Lord in first place. He would not obey. And, his, and he would not obey the Lord uh, you know, or his commandments which resulted in a bent rule in a bent kingdom that ultimately is swept away, just as God promised, just as Samuel had said to the people. Now, Forge family, there are those who did love the Lord and obey him, whose writings and stories are still with us. And like Saul, there are many who started well and finished badly, swept away as Saul was because they would not repent. These podcasts have called, a, 
called us and, and challenged us to, to live like Samuel, to listen, to obey, to speak what the Lord speaks, to do what the Lord is doing. When we do that with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with our spirit intact, we will enjoy the Lord's presence and exhibit his power just as Samuel did. All right, let's pray. Lord God, there are a few lives worth emulating, but Samuel is one. His walk with you prepared the way for the Davidic throne, and God's promise that that throne will last into eternity. We, too, should be those who open doors to the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Forge family. I love you. We'll be together soon. I want you to start walking like Samuel through your days. In Jesus' name.